Hello, and welcome to the third episode of Game Changers of Health. As always, I'm your host, Devin Taylor, VP of Brand Strategy and Gaming Practice Lead here at 21 Grams, a real chemistry company. LucasArts, GameSpot, Telltale Games, ever heard of them? Today's podcast welcomes Dan Connors and Josh Larson, two people who have charted some of the most incredible studio and content work gaming has ever seen. And to make it even more special, today's episode is near and dear to my heart on a personal level. JDRF Game to Give is a charity program supporting research in the pursuit of the treatment, prevention, and cure of type 1 diabetes. As a sister of someone living with type 1 diabetes, or you may hear us call it T1D, for over 30 years, I couldn't be more pleased to welcome leadership from Game to Give to the podcast today. If you've ever wondered what advocacy, healthcare, and gaming can do to truly change lives and advance the future of medicine, stay tuned. You're about to get an insider's look, and be sure to stick around after the interview for our retro segment, featuring my colleague and one of my favorite humans, Andrew Magrini of 21 Grams. Hey everyone, I am so excited today. I have not one, but two guests joining us on Game Changers of Health. We have uh, Dan Connors and Josh Larson joining us. Josh is the director of JDRF Game to Give, and Dan is the co-founder and chair of the advisory board for Game to Give. These two guys I have known for, I don't know how many years now, and I just feel so lucky anytime I get to work with them. We're thrilled to have them on the podcast. So welcome, Josh and Dan. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Yeah. So real quick, would love to let you both give an introduction of who you are, your history in gaming. We're going to get into all the great things we're doing at Game to Give. But first, how'd you get to be here today? What first got you involved in gaming as a as a pro? Um, everyone would love to hear. And, and Dan would, would love to start with you. Well, I started way back in 1993. Um, back in the days of uh, Nirvana and Pearl Jam. And um, I uh, got a job testing video games at LucasArts. And uh, that time at LucasArts was pretty magical. There was a lot going on. Um, it was kind of pre-Star Wars, or between the, the prequels, we called them. And uh, there was they were really interested in making games that weren't all about Star Wars. So I started there as a tester and worked on adventure games for a long time, which are games with stories and games about story. And I was there about 10 years and, and worked my way up um, from an entry-level position to leaving as an executive producer. Um, and in 2004, I started a company called Telltale Games, which was taking that notion of adventure and story, which was was key in LucasArts' beginning, and trying to um, reimagine it for modern gamers. And uh, we started working with with big franchises and eventually did a game of the year based on the Walking Dead franchise. And um, then uh, I stopped doing that in about 2016, I think, a step down. Uh, my son got type 1 diabetes right about the same time. And I started working with JDRF in that time frame to start figuring out how charities could work with game companies to figure out um, ways to build community and raise funds and do all kinds of uh, great things. Dan, you're so humble. When I think about the games you have been a part of, they are some of the ones closest to my heart uh, and closest to how I grew up with gaming. And, uh, you know, who hasn't heard of The Walking Dead and LucasArts? It's just, it's incredible. So, so cool to have you. And Josh, how about you? Yes, um, that's a hard, hard act to follow. Um, (laughs) 
so yeah, my gaming career, I like to say my gaming career goes back to uh, being a child of the 80s and uh, the Nintendo Entertainment System, uh, NES. Everyone had one and my parents refused to get me one. So some might argue that my career is driven, driven out of spite, but um, I uh, was fortunate. Uh, I've, I've had a few meaningful chapters in the games industry uh, spanning over two decades. Uh, in the early 2000s, I, I kind of left a more traditional business career and investment banking career and uh, found uh, GameSpot. Uh, GameSpot, the leading uh, information and review site for video games, and was part of uh, a core group in the early days there. Uh, kids will not uh, believe this, but we used to get all our information about games from magazines. Um, I remember so, those. Thank you for that. <laughs> Um, and it was really fun to just be disruptive, you know, and find new ways to connect. And that was, uh, just, just a blast, a really great, great group that I worked with there did a variety of things and then ultimately was leading, uh, the product, uh, side of the site, which at that time was reaching over 30 million, uh, unique monthly users. And then I went in more of a startup uh, direction and, uh, worked with Mochi Media, uh, was a, leading uh, web uh, flash games, uh, ads and distribution platform, uh, which we grew quite quickly um, and ultimately sold to uh, Shanda Games, a uh, Chinese uh, gaming giant. And uh, same thing, I, I was more the, the business guy, uh, but loved that we had a platform that was allowing independent game developers to get their start. And ultimately, uh, in many cases, uh, turn this into, into a living. And then that brings me to my third chapter, uh, in the gaming career with uh, Congregate with a K. Um, Congregate started as the YouTube uh, of web games and then transitioned to be uh, a leading mobile games uh, publisher and developer. And so I was uh, part of that transition and most recently was the chief business officer. So I was working very closely with uh, platforms, uh, again, independent game developers from around the world uh, and, and really felt good about you know being mission driven and that uh, through our efforts, if more people were making games uh, and if more individuals were making a living out of making games, I felt really good about that, but always was kind of searching for, you know, what next or what's kind of a greater cause. And then um, now this fourth chapter here is uh, director of uh, JDRF Game to Give, which I, I consider my um, most important uh role of my career. We can talk more about that. Amazing. Yeah. Again, I mean, GameSpot ever heard of it. I, <laughs> I think it's incredible just the, the ground you both have covered. Um, so let's get into a little bit about type one diabetes. You might hear us call it T1D. Um, who wants to tell us just at a high level, what type one is, and then for you both, what is your personal connection to type one? Type 1 diabetes is a, an autoimmune uh, disease where, um, for reasons that research is still looking to uncover, um, the immune system turns on the pancreas, and the, the pancreas is no longer able to produce insulin, um, which is necessary for survival. It's necessary to break down kind of food and glucose into um, usable fuel by the, by the body cells. And there are now close to uh, 9 million uh, individuals in the world uh, living with type 1 diabetes, uh, 1.4 million in the U.S. And those numbers are expected to double uh, by the year 2040. Wow. And there is currently um, no uh, cure. Um, we are working on that. 
and working on a lot of kind of exciting ways to uh, improve lives, managing this disease, prevent, uh, and ultimately cure as part of uh, JDRF. But it's the management of the disease is really 24 seven. Um, actually, many have compared it to, it's like playing a video game, a uh, flappy bird, and, and you're trying to continuously keep your blood glucose numbers uh, within a, a certain kind of healthy range. Um, and so it's it's full on, uh, and all of us here have personal connections to type 1 diabetes. So my youngest daughter, Reese, uh, was diagnosed uh, six years ago, uh, and she's now 12 and really doing well. Great thanks to the technology and community support that we get from JDRF. I can't believe she's 12. Yeah, she's she's 12. And, you know, like many T1D kids, she's 12 going on 28. You know, right. uh, the, the estimate is uh, in an average day, someone with T1D makes 180 incremental decisions about their health uh, versus the average person. So th there's a lot, you know, subtle and, and in, in large ways that go into just um, getting through the day. Yeah. Wow. Dan, how about you? Well, my um, my son was diagnosed when he was five. And um, when I got to see diabetes up close and personal, I realized how much went into um, managing it and, and how dramatic its effects are on the body and how um, just how crummy my son could feel at times and how out of it he could be at times. And it really made me um, understand what it meant. So when I went and told other people at my work that we were having this experience and becoming parents of someone with T1D, people would tell me they had type 1. And it, and it was a shock to me that, that they were managing it on a daily basis, what I was seeing happening with my son, which was so dramatic and so extreme. And, and Josh talks about those decisions. It's, it's important to remember those are life or death decisions every day. Yep. Like insulin is a, is a dangerous drug and a, a low is a medical emergency. 50 years ago, you, you, it would be a medical emergency. So, so people with type 1 diabetes deal with this every single day. And, um, and, the, and yet there's this thing about appearing as if it's not bothering me. It's not. I, I'm just like everybody else. I don't want to be defined by the disease. I can do it. And, and people really live that. And, and it's really important to them. And they do amazing things. People with type 1 do amazing things at the same time as they're dealing with this. And I just felt like, gosh, I really wish everybody knew. If people in video games knew how hard you were working just to deal with your diabetes and how crummy you felt with the high and how disorienting the low was, then they would want to help you every single day because you're dealing with something extreme. You know, but at the same time, you don't want to be different and you want to be divine by your disease, so you're doing amazing things. So I, I kind of made that something that I took really personal to be a mission and started working, trying to find ways to, to have an effect and, and bring, that, bring that about and bring that word about and, and get involved with JDRF in order to do that. Yeah. And I think that's a, a very common theme across disease states and gaming. Uh, gaming is one of the places, one of the few places you can show up and no one may know that you have some sort of health uh, issue or a disability or a challenge. And gaming can be, and, and more and more with, with advances in accessibility, you are able to show up and do the same things that other people can do. We'll get into this a little, a little further down the road, but what's great about our, our T1D stream team and our, our streamers and our ambassadors is they communicate that. You know, they'll be on a stream and say, hey, wait, I got I to gotta 
get a bolus of insulin, I can feel myself getting low or I have to eat something. Some of them even have their continuous glucose monitors or CGMs hooked up to their stream and you can see their blood sugar fluctuating, you know, live. It's just incredible uh, how gaming and T1D go so well together. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, I also have a personal connection. My brother, Brian, who uh, also works at, at JDRF, has been living with type 1 for 30 something years. And it has basically been a part of my entire life. I remember the day he was diagnosed. I remember the early days of, you know, having the insulin in the fridge and my mom giving him shots and him hating having his blood glucose taken as a three-year-old. And now with kids of my own, it's, it's heartbreaking to think about what, what parents go through, especially with younger kids when they're diagnosed. And Again, we might get into this a little later, but having therapies that could potentially and are delaying the onset of type one is so critical because the difference of a three-year-old and a six-year-old being able to recognize the changes physically that they're experiencing from their blood sugar and alert their teachers or their parents to what's going on, it, it's life-saving in some circumstances. So um, really complex disease, something that I think a lot of people don't realize the severity of or the 24-7, 365 management of. Um, but going back a little bit, also would love to tell everyone, who is JDRF and what is Game to Give? So JDRF uh, originally got its, its name as Juvenile Diabetes uh, Research Foundation. Um, and JDRF is the the leading global type 1 diabetes uh, research and advocacy organization. It was founded over 50 years uh, by uh, T1D parents. Um, some great parallels with what Dan uh, and our other co-founder Hans uh, have done here in starting game to give as parents who were in the games industry uh, and saw a path uh, to make meaningful change. And so what game to give does is uh, we're bringing together uh, a wide range of people who love video games, uh, and that ranges from players, it ranges from streamers, influencers, to game developers, to a lot of other allies and friends um, in the industry who are coming together to spread awareness, support each other, uh, and fundraise through the power of video games. And uh, as Dan got the the program off the ground in late 2019, uh, up until now, we've raised over two and a half million dollars. Uh, for critical research, amazing impact. And then, you know, I would argue making an even deeper impact uh, in terms of community engagement. You know, we're at this intersection of games and, and T1D. Uh, and then also just awareness. Gosh, we have in-game representation of T1D. We have influencers who are out there on a daily basis describing their, you know, literal highs and lows, uh, managing this disease, but also, you know, just presenting as like, very real, very authentic, but truly they're, you know, everyday heroes who, as Dan was noting, like <laughs> just to get through the day is, is such a, an accomplishment. You should, you should get a medal every day for that in managing the disease. But on top of that, you're also, you know, doing this great creative works and, and you're also being a parent and you're also doing all these other things. So it's, it's really at that intersection of, of games and T1D is where we live. And I think in kind of selling the idea that video games were a good thing for a type 1 diabetes charity, you know, where activity is so important and everything else, you know, it, it, a lot of this was about, hey, look, you need to be able to talk to people that need you the most. And video games 
are where people spend their time and, and really where they build their communities. I mean, if you want to talk to them and, and meet them, that's where you need to be yeah. for a large percentage because that's what their lifestyle is about. So we we bring not only like the, the, hey, these are video games as a sensibility, but it's, hey, this is what a digital community looks like. And, and games are central to almost all digital communities on some level because it's all kind of, that's a big part of, of this experience. So I think it's been a good learning experience for JDRF to just kind of see, oh, what's Discord? Oh, what's, what's, what's a stream? <laughs> you know, um, and that, that stuff for us is hand in, goes hand in hand with the games industry. Yeah. And, you know, I'll, I'll never forget because you held one of the first summits for Game to Give in March of 2020, early March of 2020. I remember being in that conference room in San Francisco and some people saying, oh, yeah, I saw some people with masks on at the airport. That's kind of weird. And this COVID thing, you think that's going to really take off? Obviously, we know what happened from there. A lot of what we've talked about as we've introduced our clients to gaming is, is how COVID catapulted so much about the streaming lifestyle community way to connect. Gaming has been growing and growing and growing and would have continued to grow with or without COVID, but it really put gaming and, and those abilities to be together when you can't physically be together in the limelight. So, uh, you know, getting this off the ground during that time when for JDRF, and I should mention, I was very lucky to be a part of the JDRF staff for for several years, and I continue to be a volunteer. But when we had to shut down our physical events, gaming events were able to continue and grow. So, what was your what's your perspective now, looking back on the opportunity that gaming presents for immunocompromised populations? Well, one thing was pretty clear: it was we couldn't get together physically anymore, and this was in the dramatic early days. So, having a virtual world was just another place to meet. Um, the fact that started things that started there could get established and grow legs was was an interesting part of it. And um, you know, not not shocking because those that is the way those communities grow. Um, so that was kind of the initial really, really functional thing about it. Um, I, I think right now the most important thing is that people have a place to go where they can get engaged with other people who have similar experiences, you know, like I think all immunocompromised people should have, be able to say today was my, today, this happened to me today and have somebody get it. Yeah. You know, the video game element of it, of like adding characters to games and raising awareness and being able to partner with partners and, and deliver educational messages and, and all those things can certainly be done. Um, it's just a matter of, um, you know, what are the messages and, and, in what context do you want to give them and, and where does it make sense? Yeah. And Josh, do you want to talk about some of the activations and events that Game to Give puts on, some of the ways that you've gotten the community involved? Yeah, love to. And there is something too, games are are global. And it's almost like we were we were ahead of the curve in terms of remote work and, right. and you know, connecting over screens and, you know, I think that's part of our power is, you know, we're, we're connecting globally. You, you run into, I think, nonprofit and healthcare, there, there can be kind of local centric, you know, thinking in terms of in-person events, obviously. And, um, you know, we, we don't know those bounds, um, you know, I think, which is, which is really a superpower. The, uh, the few initiatives that, that we've been working on um, at Game to Give, one of which is uh, bundles. We have a great partner in Humble Bundle. Uh, Humble Bundle is not known 
uh, really outside of the industry, but they, in the early days, uh, determined that a percentage of all sales should go to a, a charity. And over a decade, they've uh, raised over $200 million wow. for charities. Um, and if you organize the bundle uh, and it's themed by either from uh, games from a, de- a specific developer like Dan did in the early days at Telltale Games or can be uh, around another genre or theme, we actually put together a bundle last spring where a dozen games all had ties to uh, diabetes. And that was either through connections at the studio or was reflected, actually in some cases, reflected in the gameplay. Another direction that you've mentioned, Devin, and you are part of is our streaming community. So we do charity streams on on Twitch and YouTube. Uh, This is the modern telethon. So this is just a really fun, amazing way uh, for people to motivate their uh, communities. It's such a range of activities. It's not just video games. Um, some are artists and, and craftspeople. There's tabletop games. There's musicians. There's dancers. Um, and so uh, the charity stream effort and community is is really a powerhouse. Um, and then the third initiative uh, has been in-game activations, where we are working on T1D representation uh, and putting JDRF content uh, into games. And a uh, w- great example, one of our favorites is um, we have a Roblox game. So we were the first charity to launch uh, a game on Roblox uh, called JDRF One World. We launched it really at the height of COVID when, as Dan mentioned, in-person activities like a walkathon uh, were not possible. So here was a way to connect virtually and we can continue to, uh, to update that game and have that be a, a safe, educational, fun space uh, for uh, global members of the T1D community. That's awesome. I think to add on to, to what Josh said from the in the very beginning, the, one of the key pieces is that games are kind of always on the cutting edge of things. And the idea that the consumer, the, the gamer, is making their choices based on being able to do something good at the same time. Um, it was something that Humble caught on to really early and certainly rings true. Yeah. And the whole gaming for good area is really what endeared me so much to um, kind of like reinvigorate myself as a gamer because, you know, you go through different phases of of your life and hobbies come in and out. Gaming has always been there for me. But when I realized I could be doing something good that affects someone in my family and it, it just it makes you feel great, obviously, but it's also this incredible um, experience of spreading awareness while doing something you love. And that's kind of a rare thing to be able to, to find and do from the comfort of your own home. It's become this platform where people want to stand up for the right thing. So what you all are doing is certainly advancing that. I want to pivot a little bit to kind of macro gaming and healthcare and where they intersect. So when we look at the world of disease awareness and advertising, Uh, In healthcare, gaming is still relatively uncharted territory. So from your seats, you know, where do you see that intersection having the most effect? And and what does it make you feel when you when you think about those two areas coming together? It's funny, I'll I'll go way back a little bit, because, you know, when I started Telltale, we it was about bringing stories into games. And there was a lot of conversation about, well, that's, that's not a game. That's, you're just making interactive stories. And, and I always fought with people to say, look, definitions at this point are just stupid. You know, who cares about what it is? Are people engaging with it? Yeah. So if games have to be one thing to be a game, well, I don't want anything to do with that. But interactivity 
is an ability to connect with people on a whole nother level and to have them be engaged with whatever you're doing uh, deeply. They can connect deeply. So, you know, in from a storytelling perspective, that was like, I care about my characters so much that I don't want them to die and I don't want to hurt other characters in my world, which is a total complete three, 180 from what you would say about games. Um, and, um, you know, at, at Telltale, we were able to do that. So, so when I think about it moving into healthcare, um, I think the possibilities are, are limitless and not being there is, is insane to me. Like, how can we not understand the power of this? But there, are, there is stuff getting through the FDA now for, for autism. Um, and I certainly believe in the power of that. I mean, we know that brains are getting wired in different ways now. Mm-hmm. And we know that games and things have an effect on people. So it's great that people are making moves in that direction and that the FDA is responding to it, especially for something that's been so hard to treat in the past. I think getting someone to play a game, that is also a treatment, probably a pretty easy way to get them to take their medicine on some level. You know, the second big thing I would say is what VR is capable of in making you feel movement and flight and, and all kinds of things, what you could simulate for patients in hospitals with with disabilities, the the amount of of things you can bring to them at that level, um, it's just it seems like it could be unlimited, and it really just is about people with vision getting in there and making it so. So if all the money goes into figuring out how to entertain people and how to run around and how to trigger off dopamine, you know, that's one thing, and that's where a lot of money is. But if people were trying to solve different problems using what we've built, what the game industry has built. You could do amazing things mm-hmm. between healthcare. Yeah. Well, Dan, that's exactly here at, at 21 Grams and Real Chemistry. And what we're trying to do is the the therapeutic element. That's really where we're honing in is of course it's exciting to get your brand uh in front of your patients and your caregivers and your physicians, but to actually have a therapeutic element that affects overall health outcomes, that's really what we're, what our focus is on. And we know that those advancements are happening every single day. So making that a part of um, our partnerships is, um, it's incredible. It really is. But Josh, I'll let you take the same question. Yeah, I'll just add, uh, we've got the numbers, right? <laughs> yes. And it is, as Dan noted, it's interactive. And so there is a different um, path that you go on in terms of uh, understanding a concept and, and the empathy that you have as you go through that arc. And so when you think about, you know, uh, type 1 diabetes, incredibly complex disease to wrap your head around, you know, imagine games uh, potentially helping an education of that um, to help with uh, pain management or pain distraction, you know, parents you have a lot of finger pricks, you have a lot of like insulin, uh, pump and, um, continuous glucose monitor site changes. It's this like very stressful, you know, thing. Imagine a game that can kind of take the the kid away, uh, to another place uh, while I go through that. And just a final note. And in, in I think just a like simple, elegant example of this is one of our uh, community leaders created a D and D campaign, Dungeons and Dragons campaign called diabetes and dragons. Shout out to Patch Notes. Patch Notes. He's the best. <laughs> He's the best. 
and he's a volunteer. Um, and he came up with this concept and he said, oh, actually, you know, T1D is going to be part of the storyline. And so party members occasionally will have to roll a D20, a 20 sided dice, and that will reflect their kind of glucose numbers. And if it's a little low, they might have to sit out around and like have some food. And if it's a little high, they might have to have a potion to help bring them down. But imagine just that little like description in the hands of somebody new to the disease and, and, and you know, em empathizing, you know, kind of playing this role in this character, like that's really profound. And that's just like a small example. And that came from a volunteer. So if you give them, you know, if you get close to some experts and they, they obviously care about, you know, this disease and, and improving lives, uh, you can get some wonderful things uh, out the, the other side. I love that. So I uh, wanted to ask you both, you know, you're veterans of the industry. You've seen things change. We all see all different kinds of headlines about gaming as an industry, the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, if you had to give anyone listening, whether they're a patient or a caregiver, a parent, um, a potential partner, what would you say if they were to ask, you know, why should we get into gaming? Why should we enter this space? I think the first thing is that we know entertainment is going in that direction. There's, you know, at some point there's going to be no reason that everything isn't interactive because, you know, you, you can, it can be. Um, so you, you, you kind of have to get involved. And then I think the content, there's a wider breadth of content inside of video games. than I, than I think people understand, I think they, they look at maybe like movies. They, if you, if you were to just look at adventure movies, you'd think one thing about film, but if you were to look at some of the great documentaries out there, or even some real, some nice rom-coms, you know, you'd see that there's a lot to offer. And, and I think anybody that, um, is going on just what they hear in the extreme stories. They're going to think games are one thing, but they're, they're many, many different things. And some of them are amazing executions of really important things. There's so much potential and it's all about where we put our focus and our attention. And there's no reason to think that it's a, a, a small thing when it can be a, when it can be something that can, can do amazing uh, things for everybody. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just simply add, I start, uh, every day by playing Wordle. <laughs> you know, if you play Wordle, you're you're a gamer, right? Yep. You you engage with games, and your motivations for doing that are are you know just very similar to somebody who, um, you know, is playing Call of Duty, you know, with 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 friends on a, on a regular basis. So, um, yeah, I th I think it's really you know to embrace this. This is not too dissimilar from a lot of other um, activities in the day. Yeah. Josh, Dan, thank you both so much for, for joining. I loved this conversation. I think we could have hours of this. Um, and uh, I, I just feel so lucky that I, I met you guys and that I continue to be a part in a very teeny tiny way. I'm trying to, I'm trying to stream more. I tell you guys this every time. I'm trying to stream more. But if people want to learn more about Game to Give or JDRF, where can they find you guys? Yeah, so uh, our website, uh, jdrf.org slash gaming, G-A-M-I-N-G, and you can find all our socials on there, and that will be the greatest way to keep in touch with our upcoming uh, activations and events. Great. Well, again, thank you for joining us, and uh, look forward to seeing all the great things to come out of Game to Give. We're going to cure type one. It's going to be a great day. We're going to have a big stream about it, and thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Devin. Hey, 
everyone. I am thrilled to welcome my guest for our retro segment today. We have Andrew Magrini, VP Group Strategy Director here at 21 Grams joining us. Andrew is one of our 21 Gaming core founding members. He is um, a big fan of all things gaming, especially tabletop games, and he'll tell you a bit more about that. But want to welcome Andrew. Andrew, tell us a little bit about yourself, about what you do here at 21 Grams and why you love this space. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Devin. It's it's exciting. I've been such a, I guess I would say a fanboy of everything you've been doing here. And so, you know, it's something I, I greatly admire myself. Um, but with respect to work, I would say, you know, I've been in the healthcare space uh, quite a few years now. I've actually worked in a strategic-minded role my entire career coming out of school. Um, and so it's really interesting to kind of see how we tackle all these different problems through different categories and the different audiences we speak to. And so, you know, at, you know, where I'm at in my career, being able to do that at like a, a pretty macro level, I think is really interesting. And it allows us to tackle these kinds of questions in a really big sense and then see how it can be applied to any and every one of our clients that we work with on the day to day. Love it. So you listened to the interview that we did with Josh and Dan from JDRF and Game to Give, and obviously their focus when it comes to healthcare and gaming is on that charity angle. Curious from your seat, did you find anything surprising about that conversation? Was there anything there that made you stop and think or or wonder, could we apply that in our setting? Would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, there was two things. There was two things that really jumped out at me that were surprising. And I think the first is you know, mechanically thinking about charity, you know, the, the opportunity that gaming lends itself to various ways of generating funding for these organizations, you know, whether that's through Twitch streams, whether that's through, um, I believe Humble Bundle was one of the uh, groups that was mentioned, you know, just all these different ways to incentivize folks to, you know, pledge to the cause and add themselves to it. So I think that was one thing, you know, just being able to understand the full scope of what's available and at their disposal. The other thing I think was a bit more personal, obviously, you know, a lot of the discussion focused around uh, diabetes. And one of the things that really jumped out at me, you know, as part of the conversation there and their candor about, you know, the disease state and their relationship with it, you know, was was recognizing the fact that it is a life-threatening disease. You know, I think the miracle of modern science and, and, you know, the industry at large, you know, it's one of those categories where you take it for granted because it's so easily managed and treated that, you know, any event could be life-threatening. And that for me was, you know, it's eye-opening because, you know, as someone who doesn't suffer from that or really know too many people who directly suffer from it. It's hard for me to empathize, you know, with that. And then by virtue of that, you know, to really push me into a position where I want to pledge myself to that cause. Yeah. And I think with type one in particular, you hit the nail on the head. A lot of people don't understand the difference between type one and type two. And that big difference is one hypoglycemic or hyperglycemic event can be life ending. So I think everything you're saying, you know, as someone that works in the healthcare space of learning something new other, every day, being able to 
understand a disease state better than you ever had. And the medium through that is something like a Twitch stream. I think putting those two pieces together is is super interesting and, and why we find this space to be rich with opportunity. But let's move into this next topic, which I'm super curious to talk about. I know we were passing some Teams messages back and forth, and you you described this notion called empathetic authenticity when it comes to this space in particular. What do you mean by that? Tell us your thinking there. Well, the main thing here, and this was, I think, part of the fun of this discussion is I didn't want to just throw together an amalgam of buzzwords. And, you know, it's almost this... like marketers are guilty of doing that or something. <laughs> Let's circle back <laughs> on that later. You know, it kind of gets to that point I was saying before, you know, empathetic authenticity is, you know, for me at its base, it is very difficult for someone who does not have a condition, does not know someone with a condition to really understand what that experience is like. And, you know, even more so, I think that is so true for conditions that are internal, that are inwardly That you can't see. Right. And how does one demonstrate empathy, you know, in a space where you have no context, no grounds for it? And as a brand or as an organization, as a product, you know, how do you, and we talk about authenticity, you know, almost to the point, you know, one's nose bleeds, you know, in this industry, but how do you bring forward work or thinking that can help people understand that position and then get them to change their perception or change their behavior as a result of it? And so, you know, that I think is like the crux of this. And it's kind of like, you know, talking about HCPs, I think they're a prime example. I think one of the biggest challenges for HCPs, you know, who deal with a condition day after day after day is how do you break that sense of routine and get them to really understand that this is what your patient and your caregivers of those patients are really going through when you have no grounds to really understand it outside of the clinical and, you know, the relational or relationship aspect of that. And so I think that's, you know, where this idea of, you know, empathetic authenticity, and for folks who can't see me, I'm using air quotes, you know, understanding and, and trying to produce work that can bring that forward in a way that can be conducive to getting results in a way. Yeah. I think what makes gaming as an advertising medium so exciting is that we can let people experience things that fit right in with with the mediums they already enjoy very seamlessly. Um, whether that's through brand ambassadors, whether that's through an experience, whether that's them just seeing their condition represented in a way that speaks to them, I think there's so much opportunity. And to that point, I think it was Dan that talked about, you know, at one point in his career, someone said, well, you're just doing storytelling. This is just an interactive story. It's not a game. And he said, well, if we're going to define gaming as one thing, I don't want anything to do with it. So talk to me a little bit about how you interpreted the the idea that gaming has more than one definition, um, you know, having your audience be actually immersed in the content that we as marketers put out there is one of our biggest challenges. So what are the opportunities gaming presents there? 
would love to hear your thoughts. It's such a good question. And speaking with cats that I've, I've gamed with from Wizards of the Coast, you know, makers of Dungeons and Dragons, for instance, you know, the, the concept is shared storytelling. You know, gaming is a mechanism for improvisation, for personalization, and for camaraderie, you know, with your peers. And, you know, I think that's one of the most important aspects of gaming that, you know, I think a lot of people tend to gloss over. A lot of people see AAA video gaming titles, you know, they see, you know, Fortnite dances on TikTok, you know, and they kind of just, they leave it as such. And I think what gets lost in that is the opportunity, as you put it, you know, the opportunity for individuals of any background to be able to engage and engross themselves in narratives, in stories, in experiences that they may not feel themselves on the day to day. And, you know, I think D&D is a great example of that, at least from from my experience where, you know, you put yourself in the shoes of, of a fictional character, but the experiences that you have can be very real and it can be very therapeutic as a result. And, you know, for me, how that translates to the work that we do, again, speaking to the, this concept of empathetic authenticity is how can you bring one into that narrative? How can you bring one into that experience that on one side shows that you as a brand product organization understand what they're going through if, if you are someone who's afflicted with this. And then on the other side of it, how can you bring those who have no context, no background, no understanding, so that they can begin to understand what it's like? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that could be addressing stigmas. That can be, you know, hopefully changing perception about you know, some, some existing or latent, you know, understanding or or antiquated, you know, feelings about a given condition or disease, you know, that I think is, you know, some of the inherent power that lives in gaming as an opportunity for us to engage with audiences across all these different aspects of media. Mm -hmm. And to kind of put a finer point on it, in your everyday role, how are you looking to incorporate such a massive category? You know, when we say gaming, as you just were describing, it spans every demographic, every genre. Um, You know, you think about the stereotypes that are out there, whether it's the Fortnite dances or whatever. And it's like there wouldn't be three billion people gaming if there was one genre that we all (laughs) that we all participated in. Of course, there are going to be some areas that are bigger than others, but in your day-to-day and what you do for your brands, how are you thinking about incorporating this? Um, and how do you approach your clients with, with some novel ideas? Gaming is such an open book in that perspective because it can be a mechanism for storytelling, as we've kind of discussed. It can be a mechanism for understanding. So when we think about gaming in a lot of regards, we just talk about like how do we tell this patient's story? you know, through probably the literal voice of the patient, for instance. And for me, one of the things I've tried to help people understand is that the actual mechanics themselves can be a method of storytelling. You know, one of the examples I've always thought about is a game that was near and dear for me a couple of years back was you know, Super Mario Maker. 
And how can you take, you know, the, the actual building of a game itself to communicate and the playing of that game itself to communicate an experience or a narrative, you know, something that is less what I would say, like the last of us, which is mm. a call to, you know, some of our favorites, but, you know, thinking more about, you know, the, the mechanisms as a storytelling medium. Yeah, that's great. And I, when you say that gaming is such an open book, I think it it both excites me and terrifies me because it's so broad. It's like, where do you even start? But you don't want something so narrow that you're trying to fit an experience into a target audience that innately doesn't want that experience. So we're still finding our way. Um, I love that as an agency, we are taking those risks to unpack all the different elements of gaming that are at our disposal, leading with an audience first approach and understanding that it's not going to be a one size fits all. And gaming isn't going to be for everyone, of course. But when you find that connection, when you find that insight that connects us to the audience in that way, and they're represented in the storytelling, in the mechanics, in the therapeutic benefits. That's where all the magic happens. So um, loved hearing your perspective, Andrew. Love your support of all things 21 Gaming. Um, Thank you so much for being here. Anything else you want to leave us with as we wrap up? No, I mean, I just thank you again for the opportunity to be here and, and to kind of be able to sit and wax poetic about you know some of my my most beloved things being gaming and you know healthcare you know, the helping of others i love the work that we're doing and I, I just think there's such a you know you you said it perfectly so there's not much to add but there's just such an amazing opportunity for us to explore gaming as an opportunity to you know defy convention of what has, you know, for many been just a very stodgy and antiquated category being pharmaceutical and healthcare marketing. So, you know, thank you again. And, you know, looking forward to the next one. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Game Changers of Health. A huge thanks to my guests, Josh, Dan, and Andrew for joining us in such rich discussion on all things gaming, charity, strategy, and healthcare. If you're interested in learning more about Game to Give, again, be sure to check out jdrf.org gaming. Please subscribe and like Game Changers of Health to receive notifications on the latest episodes and check us out on LinkedIn and Twitter at Real Chemistry. And please reach out to us, ask us questions and request content. You can email me at gamechangers at realchemistry.com, also a link in the show notes. We'd love for you to say hi. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Game on.